What's up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Scotty Taylor Jr. Podcast. I am your host, Scotty Taylor Jr. (laughs) This is the Success Money Mindset Podcast. And today's episode is going to be great because uh, it was inspired by a conversation I had with one of my close friends. She is a spiritual entrepreneur. She is a coach. Um, and she and I have become friends after we met in a mastermind. Um, and um, and so we we voice note each other a lot to support each other. And we hold space for each other in in business and personal life. And what I mean by holding space is we listen to each other. And so um, a lot of times... It's hard to find friends who will just listen and not try to fix things. And so she and I have a wonderful relationship where um, we listen to each other, we hold space for each other, um, and we don't try to fix problems. Um, obviously, we ask for advice, and we ask for, for guidance, um, but a lot of times when people are going through a difficult time, they just want to be heard, they just want to uh, be seen, they want to know that they're not alone. And so we do a really wonderful job, I believe, of doing that for each other, and it's interesting because she and I are close friends and I was sharing with her some of the things that I had gone through over the past couple of years, some of the challenges, and she was like, wow, I, I had no idea that, that you've gone through all of that. I had no idea that this was part of your existence, part of your story. And I thought to myself and I was like, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to share this with my audience as well because the reality is that I talk a lot about the future. I talk a lot about the um, how things are going to go well. I talk a lot about um, opportunity, and I don't really talk about challenges that often on the podcast. And it's not because I have rose-colored glasses on. Um, I do I do consider myself relatively delusional in the best kind of way, <laughs> from a vibrational and manifestational perspective. I, I do, um, I spend a lot of time not dwelling on the past, not dwelling on things that went wrong. And I adopt, uh, I've adopted the attitude and belief and knowing that everything's working out for me. So when I, when I, uh, you know, essentially move past challenges, I don't, I don't move past them in the sense that I'm like, well, that didn't happen. I'm going to pretend, you know, stick my head in the sand and pretend this didn't happen. What I believe is that it's all working out for me. Everything's always working out for me. Everything's always working out in my best, for my best and highest good. And because I believe that, I don't really spend a lot of time focusing on challenges or, or negative situations. And that served me deeply, but I also recognize that it might only paint half the picture for all of you listening in thinking that everything just always goes perfectly for me, which is certainly not the case. (laughs) And so I wanted to elaborate on my story today, and I'm going to share a couple of things that I think are going to be particularly beneficial. So as I go through my journey, my story, the challenges that I faced, I'm going to share a couple ideas and a couple concepts that have really served me deeply that I hope will serve you deeply as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so as I mentioned, I'm going to share a little bit more about my story today. And as a refresher, I'm going to highlight certain areas that I think are going to be of value to you, certain areas where I have, you know, picked up a tip, a trick, I've worked with a coach on, a therapist on, um, and I'm going to share with you some of the things that I think you can glean from this episode and glean from my story to apply to your life and improve your life moving forward. 
So, uh, my journey started, my adult journey, let's just say, um, when I actually graduated uh, college in New Jersey and I applied for one job, one singular job, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, I got the job, <laughs> so that was fortuitous. Looking back, I'm like, woof, that was, um, I would say that's lucky, but um, I think I just knew, I just knew in my heart that I was going to get this job. And so I, I started work at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is an accounting firm in the valuation advisory group. Um, it's like one of the most sought after groups in, in the PwC world. A lot of people wanted to be in it. We got paid more than auditors. So I think I was making 63000 when auditors were making like 55000 right out of college, which to me was a like didn't make any sense because the auditors had to take the CPA, which was a really tough test. I was like, why am I making more? I don't even have as much education um, and I haven't taken tests like they have. But I, at the time, I was like, cool, right? Making 63000 which was a lot of money for me at the time um, and still is a, a great starting salary. And so I started at PwC and I was, I I continued to... Um, leverage my um, people pleasing, right? Like I was a very determined people pleaser. I was gonna make everyone happy. I was gonna overwork. Um, I really was rooted deeply in the belief that hard work equals success. Deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in that. My mom was working. My dad worked all the time. Uh, my mom was a doctor. She was essentially self-employed. She ran her own private practice, but essentially self-employed. Um, and she, if she didn't show up for work, she didn't make money. That was just how it went. My dad um, is a financial advisor, still is. And he worked all the time as well, hustling, you know, constantly out there trying to meet people. And so I picked up, you know, from a young age that hard work equals success. So get good grades, get a good job, work hard, you'll be rewarded. And so I, I had that belief. I worked... 60, 70, 80 hours a week, not every single week, but pretty consistently. I was working weekends. Um, sometimes I look back on my PwC days and I'm very, very grateful for that opportunity. I also think about how much trauma I probably went through um, as a, you know, I was out, um, I, um, I was I was openly gay, but I wasn't openly gay at work. Not, not hiding it necessarily, but I wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I publicized, especially to a couple of the directors and senior leadership that I wasn't comfortable sharing with. And there were many occasions when I would call my mom sobbing about how miserable I was. Um, sometimes, you know, again, just selective amnesia, I block those things out. I had a particular project in Detroit that was very challenging. The director that I worked under would say things like, not everyone in life gets to be happy. Um, we would be driving in the car and he'd be like, man, wouldn't it be so much better if I just turn this car off the bridge, like alluding to the fact that he wanted to kill himself and me and the manager in the car. And as a 22, 23 year old, that's fucking traumatic. Um, <laughs> that's really, it was a lot to deal with from somebody that was supposed to be like a mentor figure. Um, there was a time on, on July 4th, I was with my family at the beach, um, my phone didn't, it wasn't receiving emails. And then the next day I had found out that he had emailed me a whole bunch of times. And he was like, that's a career limiting move. He's like, you won't be able to get ahead if you do shit like that. So needless to say, rough work environment, um, worked all the time. And 
After about three years, I was actually the number one rated associate in in the group. I got a, a huge raise. I think I went from like sixty three thousand to like ninety thousand in one year in um, in my salary, which was a huge, huge, huge raise. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. Got promoted, and then I was like, "Yeah, I don't." I'm looking around at the at the the partners in the accounting firm, and I'm thinking to myself, "I don't want any of your lives. I don't, I just don't want." I don't want to live your life. I could not find one partner that was living a life that I wanted to live. And that was definitely my intuition telling me like, you got to get out because they were all working all the time. Like the partners were working all the time. And I was like, what, when, when do you take a break? When do you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor? So I work for all these years, become a partner, make more money, and then I keep working the same. I'm like, this doesn't, it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't feel right in my gut. And so after a couple of years, I actually left PricewaterhouseCoopers and I joined Ralph Lauren, mm-hmm. uh, the, the clothing company, obviously in, again, this is in the New York City headquarters. And I joined their business development uh, group, which was essentially a, a bunch of um, ex-investment bankers and me, similar to investment banking, but we did corporate strategy, which was really freaking cool, really, really cool and loved that role. Um, in between this, the the me leaving PwC and me joining Ralph Lauren, I finished my CFA, my Chartered Financial Analyst designation, took me four years. So every single year, I would study from January to June for six months straight. And when I say study, I mean study. If you're familiar with the CFA, you know it is a very intense designation. This is back in the you know, 2012, 2013, 2014 timeframe. So they had only offered the tests once a year in June. And so I could only take the exams once a year, June. So if I failed, I had to wait an entire year to take the exam again. I think since then they, they maybe offer it twice a year, maybe three times a year since then. But this was back then. And so when I say I studied, I I would wake up at 5, 5.30, go to the office and study in the office from like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., work until 7 or 8 p.m. and then study in the office and then take a car, take a taxi home, order food, and then go to sleep. Like that was my life. I never went out on the weekends. I was constantly studying. I would go to coffee shops. Like I, I found a way to make it enjoyable for me, but it was... It was a it was again a very challenging time in my life. I was just very committed to passing this exam, which fortunately I did. Um, never have to take those exams again. So I am a um, chartered financial analyst, so I do have that designation, and um, and that was that was great. And so I was at Ralph Lauren for a couple of years, and this is where my journey starts to take a little bit of a turn. So in June of 2014, um, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer, stage four lung cancer. And so this is June 2014. I had been at PwC for a couple of years. And I think I was around 26 at the time, 26 years old. And obviously I knew that stage four lung cancer was serious, but I didn't really have a grasp on like what that meant. And so she, as a doctor, was like, we're going to try some experimental um, treatments. We're going to, you know, I'm, she's like, I'm doing research. I'm, I feel um, optimistic that I'll be able to beat this. And um, long story short, she did not. So she passed away in December of 2014. So about seven months after she was originally diagnosed with the cancer. 
And the last two to three months, she was on hospice. So for November and December, she was um, essentially on morphine um, in our house. So this is my my childhood house in New Jersey. So I essentially moved back. So I had a I, I had a, an apartment that I lived in with my brother in Astoria in Queens, New York, um, which was really far away from New Jersey. And so I essentially just kind of moved home temporarily, lived in my own uh, lived in my old bedroom. And so like directly below me was my mom just slowly dying. Um, and if anybody's gone through a loved one going through hospice, it's it's rough. Um, you watch them essentially just deteriorate. They're in pain. Um, they don't eat. Uh, my mom's brain was, was, she was still sharp. You know, she would still be able to like talk, but she slept a lot. I mean, it just, you, you watch your parent wither away. And so that was obviously very, very difficult, um, difficult for everybody, difficult for my brother, difficult for my dad, difficult for my mom's siblings and my grandmother, difficult for everybody. Um, and, and so after my mom passed away, um, I'll, I mean, I'll just never forget it, December 28th. And my dad woke me up and she's like, your mom's gone. And I came downstairs and she was gone. Like they had, they had already taken the body and, and they cleaned out the room and that was it. And so after that happened, um, I was a bit numb to the, to, to kind of like life. So I, I kept working, still working at Ralph Lauren at the time. And after that happened, like when she was sick, I kind of had this, um, epiphany that like, I'm, I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. I'm meant to run my own business. And I had always known this in my core. I think anybody that goes into an entrepreneurial route or even a sales route, starts their own business. I think you just know, you're just like, I just, I crave the freedom. I crave the flexibility. Um, I just know that this is for me. And so I always knew in my heart of hearts that this was for me. So I thought to myself, okay, well, um, my mom is going to die soon. Um, I don't know exactly when, but you know, they had told us like it's getting worse and when you're on hospice like hospice is you're just not going to recover right you're not on treatment anymore so there's really like at least from my knowledge there's no coming back from that so I remember buying a map and putting pins in a map and being like I'm going to travel to all these places after my mom dies and so um after she passed away, I continued working for another nine months at Ralph Lauren with the knowledge that I was going to quit. Like I was like, I am, I'm going to leave, um, but I want to save up enough money in order to have money to travel. So I saved about $1,500 a month for about 10 months or something like that. So I saved about 18, 20,000 and I already had a little bit of money in savings. So I maybe had about 40, maybe 50,000 in cash in savings at this time which is, you know, pretty good, I think, for um, a 26, 27-year-old living in New York City. So I was pretty proud of myself. I was like, I'm doing pretty well. Considering I was bringing home, um, at the time, I, I was just at six figures at Ralph Lawrence. I was just making 100000 um, again, at around 27. <clears throat> so I quit my job, um, and I decided to move to Colombia. So I moved to South America, or technically, I guess, Central America, and I lived in Colombia, and I took Spanish classes every day for four hours a day, Monday through Friday. I essentially enrolled in university. 
um, to learn Spanish. I was I was really determined to learn Spanish, and I knew that I would need to immerse myself if I actually wanted to get to gain any real control of the language. And so, leaving my dad, my brother, my aunts, my uncles, leaving everybody was my way of coping with the pain, with my mom being my best friend and the the challenges that I was faced with. I just I I, I just didn't want to face my emotions. I didn't want to face my feelings. So I left. So I ran. Um, this was unconscious, right? I can, I can say this now. At the time, it seemed like a logical thing to do, but I can tell that at this moment, like looking back, you know, eight, nine years later, I was definitely running. Um, <clears throat> and this is, I'm going to share uh, an anecdote later that I think will be really beneficial about my, my, my uh, attempt or my, my way of processing that emotion and that grief and that sadness. So I moved to Colombia and I traveled. I traveled throughout Colombia. I went to Guatemala. I went to Costa Rica, Nicaragua. I was in, um, I think I mentioned Guatemala, El Salvador. I went to Belize. I went to um, uh, all, all the Central American countries for about nine months. I ended up in Mexico City. And then I started a company when I was in Costa Rica and I eventually like launched the business in Mexico City. In um, this is 2016. So in 2016, I launched a cricket protein bar. Let's <laughs> talk about taking a turn. So I went from my finance background. Um, after my mom died, I got really obsessed with nutrition and really understanding like how nutrition plays a role in living a long life. And I've since evolved that thought process now to much broader, which it's actually vibration. It's not just nutrition. Vibration determines your um, your health span because, you know, there's some people who will smoke cigarettes and live till 90. And there's some people who smoke and die at 57, like my mom. And so um, there's it, it's ultimately vibration. But yes, I was very interested in nutrition. Um, the World Health Organization had just come out with a study that said that, you know, the farming tax, the farming practices of cows and chickens and pigs was really unsustainable and we needed to go more plant based. And so at the time, 2016, cricket protein was becoming very popular. So I was like, cool, let me just like hitch my wagon onto this or hitch my ride onto this wagon and let's ride the wave. Like I saw cricket protein becoming like the trend of the future. So I was thinking like I'm on the precipice of something amazing. And so I uh, then moved to Los Angeles um, where Ashley, my best friend, um, lived at the time. And my protein bar manufacturer was there. So I had a I hired a white label protein bar manufacturing company. I purchased the cricket flour organically from a from a farm. Like it was a whole thing. And and then in LA, so in 2016 to 20 to end of 2017, so mid-2016 to end of 2017, I I was doing this full time. I was running my cricket protein bar company. And I was still, I still had the same mindset that hard work equals success. So you if you had met me, I was hustling, let me tell you. So I was bartending. So I was driving 45 minutes to a to a bar to bartend because I had no experience bartending and this was the only place that would hire me. Making 150 bucks a night. I mean, this is not this is not big cash we're talking about. Um, and then I would have to drive home at three in the morning for 45 minutes more <laughs> time and again, like hustling. Um, I was consulting, so I did consulting, um, like virtual consulting through Upwork, a uh, an online platform, and I was doing that about twenty five dollars an hour. 
$25 an hour I was charging, which if you do the math, even if you work 40 hours a week, that's like $50,000 a year. So I was really selling myself short in terms of my skill set. And I was doing all this and I was running my cricket protein bar company. So that means that I was creating the marketing materials. I had my website. I was having photographers come take pictures of the bars. I was getting it um, featured on Amazon, right? I was shipping the bars into Amazon to have people buy it from Amazon. I was setting up my online shop. I was going to Whole Foods and all the specialty stores around to try to sell it there. And I was going to farmer's market. So every Saturday and Sunday, Wednesday, and sometimes Fridays, I would wake up at the ass crack of dawn, like 5 or 6 a.m., and go to the farmer's market um, nearby in Calabasas or in Brentwood in California, in Miracle Mile, West Hollywood, all the different farmer's markets, and sell my protein bar. And let me tell you, long story short, people don't in the US are not accustomed to eating insects. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. So I met a lot of resistance. Um, I met a lot of resistance with, you know, older uh, older women, you know, the typical LA woman being like, ew, that's disgusting. Why would you eat that? Um, and then there or other people being like, you know that insects are still animals, you're still killing. Yeah, I heard a lot of different things. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. I um, it was a colossal failure <laughs> to put it to put it bluntly. It was it was a colossal failure, and when I say that, I mean it was a failure in the sense financially um, and business wise. I spent about forty thousand dollars of my savings. Um, well, it wasn't all savings because I was making some money, but um, I made about twenty five thousand dollars that year between my bartending, consulting, and cricket protein bar company that spent about 40,000. So I was in the red by 15,000 for the startup costs and all the other costs that went that were that were associated with, you know, producing the bar and some of them went bad and then giving out free samples and all the marketing collateral everything. And my rent, I had to pay rent at the time, right? I was living in in an apartment in LA um renting out a room in this woman's apartment. And man, oh man, sometimes I, th- I look back and I'm like, I even rented out a room in this guy's house, but he wouldn't let me walk into the front door or go into the house. So I had to go in through the, the backyard fence. And it was like, a, it was basically like a bedroom that had an exit to the backyard. And the backyard had his office. He was, a, he was in PR. I think he still is. Um, and there was a bathroom in his office and I had to use the bathroom. So if I, I, and like my shower was outside. So if I woke up in the morning at like nine or 10, let's just say, and I needed to take a shower, I would go into the office and his staff would be there and I would have to take a shower with his staff in the office. And I was paying a thousand dollars a month in rent. He wouldn't let me play music. He's like, no music allowed, <laughs> which if you know me, I'm a big music lover and I'm a very loud person. No people can stay over at all, period. No one can stay over. Um, no animals, not like, I mean, talk about rules. Um, and sometimes I, I look back and I'm like, wow. Um, yeah, that was that was a time in my life. And, but I did all this because I, I was it, making it work. Honestly, like these things were, they, they were just part of my journey. And... One of the lessons I want to share through all of this is I look back and I am in my mid-30s now. I'm currently 36 and I had moved to LA when I was 30. My mom passed away when I was 27 and there's there are times, very, very infrequently, but there are times and, and I think this might resonate with, with um, all of you, the listeners, where 
I can look back and think, man, if I had just done like one or two things differently, I would be in a very different situation right now, right? Like if I had become a financial advisor in 2016, instead of waiting until 2018, like if I had given myself a couple extra years, or if I had quit PwC a year earlier, or if I had, uh, you know, if I had not done the cricket protein bar, or if I had spent a freaking minute looking at the financials of it, maybe I would have had a different path and I would have a lot more money now. I'd have a lot more success now. I'd have a lot, I would be a lot further along in my journey. And as somebody who has pivoted a few times in their life, it's, I think, again, if you are a career changer or if you've pivoted, I think it's so easy to fall into that trap of, man, I would be so much further along if I hadn't blank, insert whatever it is that you had done previously. If I wasn't a teacher for 20 years, right? If I, you know, didn't stay at home in my parents' house for that long, whatever it is. And it's interesting because when I recount stories, sometimes I think about that in a very neutral perspective. There's not really any emotion associated with that. I'm not thinking like, oh, I I feel bad for myself or I'm upset with myself for for doing those things because the, the truth is that I made the best decisions that I could at the time given my knowledge level and experience level at the time. So if I rewind back a couple years, back to 2016, I could not have made a different decision. It's not possible. It would not have been possible for me to make a different decision because I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. And so I use that approach for any decision I make really, right? Like quitting my cricket protein bar company. I'm like, was that a a success? Was that a failure? I mean, I look at it as a failure, not as a failure, like I am a failure. It just was a failure. The business did not succeed. That doesn't mean I didn't learn from it. That doesn't mean it wasn't an amazing experience, but it was a failure. I'm not going to sugarcoat that and be like, it was so great. And I sold it for millions of dollars. Like that's not true. And so my perspective is that all of the things added up to where I am now. And it's kind of easy to say that logically, but I believe it on a core level that everything is working out for me. And my journey has been so unique and so fun and so challenging, but rewarding. Like, I just can't imagine a different journey. Like, I think about Taylor Swift, who's younger than I am by, I don't know, I think two years. I was born in 87. I think she was born in 89. I think about like Taylor Swift as an example. I'm like, man, if my life was different, I could be a billionaire like Taylor Swift. And that thought, while, you know, maybe entertaining to, uh, like, fun to entertain for a minute, really does me a disservice because, again, there was no alternative path I could have taken given where I was, given my upbringing, given where I grew up, given my knowledge, my experience. And that's what I want all of you to take away from this as well. That no matter where you are, so if you're a career changer and you started the becoming an advisor at 50, or let's say you quit being an advisor at 50, or let's say you switched firms, or let's say you got divorced, like there was no other path for you. There just was no other path for you because you did everything that you could with the knowledge and experience that you had at that time. If you could have done differently, you would have, period, plain and simple. So... Going back to my journey, 
and a couple, uh, I'm going to add in a couple facets to this as well. I started my financial planning business. So after about a year and a half of my cricket protein bar company, Ashley and I had been, you know, um, like still best friends. So we chatted through things. We were working through things. Um, we were each doing our own goals and objectives. And she was like, and I told her, I was like, this isn't fucking working. (laughs) This is not working. And she's like, why don't you try being an advisor? I think you'd really like it. Um, and I thought to myself, I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm honestly like before becoming an advisor, I was an extremely insecure person. Um, I was very insecure with my looks, a quick side tangent that I actually didn't mention. Um, when my mom got sick with cancer and was diagnosed, uh, I started to break out in acne really, really bad. Um, so it was like all over my face. I mean, I just broke out everywhere and I remember like when I was at PwC, the same manager that I had mentioned earlier, who was, you know, a dick, um, to put it lightly, I remember him like walking up to my cubicle one day and like I had pimples at the time because I was so stressed and he was like, you really need to take care of those. Like go buy a needle and pop that shit. And I just remember being freaking mortified, mortified. I mean, that was like the, that was like the worst thing you could have said to me at the time, um, because I was so insecure about how I looked that he like basically walked up and was like, that's disgusting. And like, didn't say it in a subtle way at all. And I don't know if he thought he was helping me or not, but I did go buy a needle and I popped my pimples incessantly. And that's what created some scarring, but we're going to, that we're going to move past that. But when my mom got sick, I, I broke out again in acne. And so now I'm, I was, I was overwhelmed with feelings of, um, like insecurity. So I was like, I look like a fucking, like I look so bad right in my eyes. I didn't look in a mirror for over a year. Like I would not look, I refused to look in mirrors for probably actually for probably close to two to three years. I just would not look in the mirror. So I would get ready in the morning and I just wouldn't look in the mirror like at all. Um, like even when I shaved, like I would shave when it was like foggy. So I like couldn't see myself clearly or what I would do is I would hold my, I would hold my hand up. Like, I swear to God, I would do this. I would look in the mirror and hold my hand up to cover parts of my face. So I could look at other parts of my face. Like I would, I would cover my mouth and my jaw area. So I couldn't see my pimples and look at my forehead only. So I could see my hair or something like that. Like, I mean, we're talking like insecure level, like 10 out of 10. And so joining, becoming an advisor, like these were things that I didn't share with anybody because I was so ashamed, but becoming an advisor and having to talk to people every day was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Like, I'm not going to sit in front of another person and talk to them with them looking me in the eyes. Like, no, because I was again, just so terrified of judgment and rejection. And so after a while, I eventually did overcome my fear. I did say, okay, you know what? I'm going to become an advisor. I'm going to do it. And I just like look back at that younger version of myself. I was 30 at the time. And I'm like, damn, like I was courageous. Like that was, that took a lot of courage. It's such a looking, like I can say it now, like such an insignificant thing, but it felt like it was the most significant thing in my life. It felt like it was just the, like, there was nothing, there was nothing bigger than that. And so I had the, I had the acne, which made me feel really insecure. But then I was also feeling guilty for feeling insecure. Cause I'm like, well, my mom's dead. Literally like my mom's sick or my mom's dead, but I was dying. Like, who am I to 
be insecure about my looks. Like I could be dying. And so then I was riddled with guilt about feeling insecure. It was a very vicious cycle for a while. And there were some pretty dark days. There were some pretty, pretty dark times during that period. And eventually it's, you know, I would love to say like my acne just cleared up and everything was great. That didn't happen. My acne continued for years, 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 years. Even now I still have acne. Um, But what I, what I worked on was my relationship with myself, my relationship with my looks. That's what I worked on to build and to heal. It wasn't ever, it was never about healing the external circumstance so that I could feel better. I felt, I thought that was the way for a very long time. I was like, well, when my acne goes away, I'll be confident. And after my acne didn't go away for years and years and years, I was like, okay, well, it's not going to go away. So I need to become confident regardless. I need to find a way to love myself regardless. Like I really, um, I really hated myself for a while, at least from a looks perspective. I was really, really resentful of my body. And so fast forward, I, I finally decided to become a financial advisor. I, I finally decided to join. And that was an act of rebellion against the fears and the insecurities that I had. And so I started and I was determined to be successful. Every single time I thought to myself, like, this is difficult. This is tough. Like, I remember multiple times crying to Ashley, working weekends, like just... Oh, I mean, it was rough, but I remember thinking to myself, I will not, I will not go back to a nine to five. I refuse to go back to a nine to five and and have my soul get eaten away by a cubicle. And so I persevered. I did what I did, what I had to do. I pushed, I made things happen in 2019. I did 255,000 of revenue. And this was like my you know, first full year, but sort of second year as an advisor. So I I had, I had seen success. I had made it. Um, at least in my eyes, like I was finally starting to see the success. I had overcome all these things, was finally starting to see success in my financial planning career. And then in 2020, I burnt myself out. I was like really burnt out. And so I took you know, January, February, March, even before the pandemic. So I know a lot of people had a um, an inward epiphany during the pandemic. Mine started a little bit earlier than that. I actually started in January and was aided by the pandemic. My revelation was aided by the pandemic. So I, I took that time, January, February, March, of miserable, burnt out. I was like, what the frick? I was like, I, I started this career as an advisor because I wanted freedom. I wanted the money, but I have like no flexibility at all. I'm still working my ass off all the time. And that's when I really, that's when I hit a pivotal moment in my, in my life, another pivotal moment where I, I made the decision that I was going to live the life I wanted to freaking live. Like I finally decided that I don't care what other people think. I don't care what other people say. I mean, I did and I still do much easier said than done, but I decided, I was like, no, I'm going to make this freaking work. I'm going to live the life that I want to live. I want to work less and make more. I want to have more freedom. I want to have more flexibility. I want to make a lot of money and not work that much. And it took that like decision to start my journey into coaching, to start my journey into buying real estate and, and getting passive income. It, it took me a while to 
to finally say to myself, I get to live the life that I want to live. And so after those years of being an incredible advisor and making lots of money, I had walked the stage. I was in the top 10 in my class. Like I think I was number seven in the entire company of like thousands and thousands of advisors. Um, So I was like doing really well and I started coaching. And then in 2021 to 2022, I implemented my prospecting system that I now teach to other advisors. And that's really when things actually started to fall into place. And I started to see the success from the years and years and years of turmoil and and trial and error. I did 490,000 of revenue. I worked about like three to four days a week. I only saw clients two days a week as a financial advisor. I did two days of coaching, one to two days of coaching a week. I had my investment property. Like everything was starting to finally move forward, finally start to pick up, right? Everything was feeling like it was falling into place. And then my coaching business started to pick up. And so I started doing like 20, 30, 40,000 a month. And then I, I had to make another decision. I was like, okay, now I'm starting to work a lot again. So I'm working all the time in my coaching business. I have to figure out how to pivot and how to shift because at this time, now this is like 2022, I knew, I knew that I, I, I knew how I wanted to live my life. I knew how I wanted to show up and operate on a day-to-day basis. I wanted more freedom, more flexibility. And that's when I started creating online digital courses, online digital programs that people could buy into and get access to my proven system, my proven soft, uh, uh, prospecting software and system. And that helped me start to scale my business. That's, that, that helped me scale my coaching business. So that, that was the next logical step, the next pivotal step for me. And that's kind of where we are at right now, which is, you know, I'm doing consistently 30, 40,000 a month of coaching revenue and I'm not working as much anywhere near as much because it doesn't require me to do one-on-one sessions anymore. I have two, I, I, I hold space for three one-on-one coaching clients. Um, I have a wonderful mastermind that I absolutely adore of advisors that are paying a premium price point, premium investment. And then I have advisors joining my Financial Advisor Academy, my Prospecting Bootcamp, my Money Course. I have other programs that now align to the, the lifestyle that I want to live. And so I wanted to share that, that journey and, and I want to I wanna go into one more personal story that I was sharing with my friend that I had mentioned in the beginning of this episode and then I'm going to wrap this up. And the story is about my dog, Cashew, my, my baby girl. So I have a golden retriever. Her name is Cashew. She is about three years old, just about just under three years old now. So about three years ago when I had gotten her, um, she I had, I had purchased her from a breeder. And this is during the pandemic, right? So this is 2021 at this stage. Um, and so when I got her, she was a couple weeks old or maybe a couple of months old. I don't remember exactly, but she was a puppy. And I got her and then three days later, she started to like cough and her nose was running. And I'm like, okay, this is like, probably should bring her into the vet. So I bring her into the vet and turns out that she had pneumonia. She had a lung that was collapsing. She had four different types of parasites and she had a viral or bacterial infection in her lungs. So very quickly, they admitted her to the puppy ER and now this is a dog that I've known for four freaking days. Like I, I had not spent that much time with her. I was obviously in love with her. I loved her. I still do. Like she's my baby. 
Um, spoiler alert, she's fine, right? She's still here today. She's a fighter. But she was in the puppy ER for about two or three days. And it was about $10,000 all in for all the vet fees. And the vet called me um, the first day that she was in the puppy ER. And she was like, you know, just so you know, like, this is not looking good. If you get a call from us tonight, then um, unfortunately, she's she's passed. And she's like, so just hope that you don't get a call from us tonight. So (laughs) I laugh because it's like, like, again, like, holy shit. And so what I remember is she was in the puppy ER. And I'm flooded with emotions because there were so many similarities to my mom having lung issues, lung cancer, and Cashew had uh, pneumonia and her lung collapsed, and so she couldn't breathe. Um, And she's like this tiny little puppy, right? Um, Not a strong immune system yet. She wasn't eating. Like, it was, she was very, very sick. And so I remember just like, having this moment where I just broke down and I called my coach at the time, um, who's a good friend of mine. His name is Jason. And he and I were coaching. We're not coaching currently, but he's still a good friend of mine. And I called him and I was like, I I was like, it was an emergency. I was like, "I, I need to talk. And I sobbed for on the phone with him for probably an hour. And then I finally hung up and then I continued sobbing for probably five hours straight Um, which, you know, I'm a crier. (laughs) Like I've never, like never been somebody that would just hold all their emotions in. Like I do hold my emotions in, but I am a crier. Like if it's coming out, it's coming out, but I had never really cried for that long. And this is the, this is the moment that I wanted to share. Like the, the cashew, I believe, I have to like try not to get emotional here. Even just thinking about it. She was my she was my my Buddha. She was my teacher to help me face the feelings of my mom's death. And the abandonment that I felt and the pain that I felt and the grief and the loss that I felt. And so she was the catalyst seven to eight years later after my mom died to have me finally deal with those emotions that were just kind of stuffed down. And my coach and I, when we were going through, he's, you know, helping me and, and helping me regulate my emotions and helping me process things and just being there for me. He shared something that stuck with me that has just been such a cornerstone um, lesson for me in my life. And he said, your heart has always been there for you. So when your mom died, your heart was there. Your, your, you know, when, when, Things happened in childhood and you were bullied or when you had your, you know, your acne um, insecurities. Like no matter what has happened in your life to this point, your heart has always been there. And this was in response to my statement that I was like, I'm, I can't deal with my mom's emotions because I'm afraid that I'll never get out of them. I'll never not feel the sadness. So I have to push it down and push it away because I'll never not feel it. So if I, if I let myself feel the sadness, it's going to consume me. That was what I was thinking. And he's like, you've always, always come out of it. And that's the lesson that I want to leave with all of you. And that's the, that's the thing that he shared with me that no matter what you've been through, if you've been through challenging things, if you've been through difficult things, if you've been through traumatic things, 
you're here right now. You're listening to the podcast. I presume that you are alive. <laughs> your heart has has helped. Your heart has been there for you every step of the way. Your heart has never um, succumbed to the sadness, to the grief, to the frustration. Your heart has always been there for you. And it will continue to be there for you. And so no matter what you're going through right now, no matter if it's really tough, or even if you're feeling on top of the world, you're going to be okay. Like, you will get through it. You will be okay. The things are temporary. I'm a testament to that. You're a testament to that. And so I hope that these stories, these anecdotes helped. I hope they 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 helped you in a way that you can glean something from here. You can take something and apply it to your life. You can you can adopt a similar mindset or a similar approach. But I just wanted to share that because right now my goal is seven figures. So my goal is 1.2 million for the 2024 year. Uh, 1.4 million of revenue. 1.2 million of revenue for 2024. But I did not start in this path. It was not an. It was not a straight shot. It was not a, a get rich quick. It. It's been a road of lots of bumps, <laughs> lots of up and downs, lots of facing my demons and moving through them anyway, lots of doing coaching calls where nobody shows up and I'm there for an hour talking to a screen where there's nobody fucking live, but I'm doing it anyway. Lots of no's, lots of times that I've emailed people or asked them for commitments and they said no. There have been comments on social media, right? Nasty comments on social media. There's, there's been challenges in my personal life, in my professional life. So I share that to share with you that my path has not always been easy, but I've always known in my heart that it's working out for me and in my favor, I love you. I thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, this very, very vulnerable, very authentic episode. And I would love to hear from you. So shoot me a note on Instagram at the Financial Advisor Academy. Um, if you have any ahas or any takeaways, um, if you resonate with any pieces of my story, I would love to hear from you. I love, love, love recording this, these podcasts. I mean, this is a Saturday afternoon and I'm recording this because I just felt so compelled to do this <laughs> in the middle of a Saturday. Um, and But it's a one-way street, right? I, I share and I don't necessarily always um, know how these stories impact you. So I would love for you to share um, it. If you don't mind, I would also love for you to write a review. It, it really, really would help me out. Um, I know I listen to podcasts and they're like, please write a review. And I sometimes will be like, ah, I'm not going to do it. But um, I do because I just know that it's like something that's so small for for you, the listener to do or for me, the listener to do. But it really, if you if you find value in the podcast, like these are free, like this is free. You have nothing. It doesn't cost anything. So it's just such an opportunity for for you to give back. Um, if you find this valuable. So I appreciate you. I love you. I cannot wait to see you in the next episode. I hope you have a magical day, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it really helpful. If you did, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes so I can keep putting out great content. If we're not yet connected on the socials, I'd love to meet you. 
You can find me on Instagram at Scotty Taylor Jr. and drop me a DM if you want to chat. Or check out my website, scottytaylorjr.com, for more inspirational content, blog posts, and other freebies. I love you, friends, and I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Remember, you're a badass and you deserve the life of your dreams. 